Hi, everyone. This is the Asher Marketing Podcast, and I am Anthony Giuliano. We are here with another great guest, Danny Soms. Danny, how you doing? Doing great, Anthony. Thanks for having me. So, Danny, you just finished commencement at Huntington University. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, well, it's always a great day when you get to see um, students come to the end of their journey, at least with us, and uh, seeing the growth that happens over four years of their life and uh, some sad goodbyes, um, you know, as they're going to move on to other things. But it's always great to have that kind of celebration point for them and and to get to be with them. So. So... What involvement do you have in the actual event coordination? Is that a big part of your job or do you leave that to others? Yeah, thankfully, I get to leave that to others. So <laughs> yeah. I, I do a lot of work with students on the front end as they're coming in. And so as they say goodbye, I just get to be there to, you know, shake hands and tell them to stay in touch and, um, you know, relive some good memories with them. Sure. So how did Huntington adapt in this environment where we're not quite out of the woods yet in terms of coronavirus, but certainly seeing light at the end of the tunnel, if I can mix my metaphor in that way? How did you adapt? How is it different than 2020? And how was that different than 2019? Yeah, well, if you go back to 2019, we had one huge ceremony in the field house. You know, we packed probably three or 4,000 people in yep. there between the graduates, guests and all. And so last year, uh, we broke it down. I think we had six individual ceremonies over the course of a day. We had to limit um, to, I think, two or three guests for each graduate. Um, this year, we were able to have a few more people in. I think we got it down to four ceremonies. Um, the nice thing was we moved into our auditorium, so it was air conditioned. Oh, nice. Instead of okay. in a field house where it could be really humid or really hot. In yeah. There, so. Yeah. Well, was Saturday, Saturday was actually a fairly decent spring day. So you may have needed the AC on Sunday. You probably would have needed the heat if it had been the day, it, a day later. So exactly. Yeah. It, a lot of great pictures I saw on social media from graduates and their families afterwards and went from our faculty celebrating with students. I'm out on the quad and things. Well, great. Well, if you haven't guessed already, Danny works at Huntington University, so we're going to nerd out a little bit on higher education marketing. But before we do that, um, Danny, as you know, as we discussed before we hit record, we talk about career path, talk a little bit about the institution you work for, and then we'll get into some of the projects you're working on. So let's start with career path. You were in higher ed marketing for quite some time and you switched institutions, but let's go back a little further. Um, you mentioned you grew up in Grant County down in Gas City. So take us from whatever the beginning of that path is for you through where you are today and how you got there. Yeah, well, I think, you know, like a lot of people, um, as I was graduating from high school, I knew that I wanted to go to college. Um, first generation college student. Uh, my dad's a farmer. My mom was a school bus driver. Mm -hmm. uh, two older brothers, two older sisters. They're all very successful in life, but college was not sure. um, in their plans at the time. And so um, I went to college not knowing really what I wanted to do. Started off as an accounting major and realized after a year, it's like, I can do this. But sitting in an office, staring at numbers all day isn't for me. You know what's really funny? is that I ended up an English major and my first major was accounting. So we have that in common. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, closet, you know, number of people, I guess. Yeah. So. Well, for me, it was more having no idea what I wanted to do and looking at the list of careers and picking the first one alphabetically and hoping that would stick. And it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um, while I was in college, uh, they started a communication program. 
And I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. And so um, got involved, started doing things, um, got a chance to be involved in a lot of different um, projects with public relations, writing, other things. And I think in my heart of hearts, I thought I was going to be the next great sports writer, okay. you know, the next Mike Lupica or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, not in the cards, although I did write sports part-time uh, for the Chronicle Tribune in Marion Okay. Um, All right. shortly after graduation and had some fun uh, stories there. But um, God just kind of opened up the door, the pathway in higher ed, starting as a financial aid counselor for a couple of years and then created the opportunity to get into admissions. Uh, more kind of on the sales end, yep, which is sure. where, you know, that connection to marketing started yep. and spent a long time there um, at my alma mater before um, another stint in financial aid, which was really helpful ah, okay. to me in the leadership role that I have now at Huntington. So, okay. All right. So, so financial aid, admissions, then financial aid, and then marketing. Do I have that path correct? That's it. That's so it. when you were at Indiana Wesleyan, that's when that institution got really innovative in online and adult programs. I want to talk about that a little bit because you and I have kind of followed a parallel path. I have been involved at Indiana Tech for quite some time um, and watched that institution be, you know, an early adopter of making it easy for adults to go to school. And actually, when I was considering an MBA, there were really two choices. It was either Indiana Wesleyan or Indiana Tech. No offense to Indiana Wesleyan, I chose Indiana Tech. But you had two institutions that at the time were kind of the only game in town. And now, of course, that market has exploded. So tell me about, if if you can, if it's relevant, your experience in watching that develop, why Indiana Wesleyan went in that direction and how that's benefited the institution during your time there and maybe beyond. Yeah, it's a great question. And I always like to tell people I was really the beneficiary of all that. Yeah. Um, all of my work was on the traditional campus. Yep. And so um, that innovation and the aggressiveness that the Indiana Wesleyan had to develop all the adult and the graduate programs, and then eventually online once that market came to fruition, um, helped us on the undergraduate campus be able to build and accelerate much more quickly yep. and grow the campus. And so I was pretty blessed to be a part of an institution that um, during my time in the admissions office probably grew about 150 percent. Mm -hmm. And so learned from a lot of great people along the way and got a chance to have my hands in that, you know, a little bit later, more of in a leadership role. Um, but, you know, the, the big takeaway is, I think, always be willing to do something different. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time when they launched those adult programs, that wasn't real popular at, yeah. in a lot of people in higher ed. Yeah. And today, all of us, um, you know, Huntington University, that's an important part of yep. our portfolio. Yep in how we generate the revenue that we need to provide the experience that um, students want to have, especially in that on-campus setting. Sure, sure. So so you go from a, an institution you're at for 21 years to a, a new place in somewhat of a new role. Tell us about that transition, why you made the change and, and what it was like being a, a new staff member at, at a place where you hadn't been a new staff member for two decades. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, I, I really thought um, at one point in my life that I would probably retire from Indiana Wesleyan, um, was in a great spot, growing institution. And there were just a series of conversations over a few years where I really began to question, okay, am I really um, called or committed to Indiana Wesleyan? Yep. Or am I committed to enrollment management and marketing sure. in a higher education setting? And um 
Indiana Wesleyan went through some leadership transitions and, um, you know, that created some challenge um, uh, for me. Uh, The role opened up at Huntington and was actually there on a campus visit with my son. Uh He was attracted to the film, animation, broadcasting programs, um, great programs at HU. And um, while I was there, really felt like, yes, I need to pursue this. And then when I met our president, Dr. Sherilyn Emberton, I always said, if I'm going to switch institutions, I want to work for a president who has great vision mm-hmm. and is decisive. Yep. And if anyone out there has met Sherilyn, they know that those are two <laughs> things um, that you don't have to talk to her very long to see that, oh, yeah, she's a great visionary and yeah. she is definitely decisive. Yeah. So. yeah. so it sounds like you're in the right spot. And, you know, Huntington is obviously a, a growing institution, a thriving institution in a number of different ways and, and want to hear more about that. But talk to me about about your the team of folks you work with work with before we hit record you and I were talking about the fact that Asher's fortunate to to do some work with Huntington University and you and I are both fortunate to have really great people who actually do the work so we can stay out of the way you in Lynette and me in Katie but for those who aren't as familiar with with Huntington tell us a little bit about the institution tell us about your team how the work gets done what you focus on what is challenging about your work what you love about your work all those things yeah well it's um, it, it's a great place to be. Huntington University is a Christian liberal arts university. Next year, we will celebrate 125 years that we've been serving Northeast Indiana. And um, I have the joy and privilege of working with the recruitment teams, the marketing team, uh, financial aid, and then what we call student success. So the people who help make sure that no student slips through the cracks and that everybody finds what the resources they need to be successful. And really, I, I'm not responsible for any one of those things, but I get the, the privilege of working with some really great people. Um, Lynette, our director of marketing and public relations, who you mentioned, um, just does an outstanding job kind of positioning the university and creating voice for the university and then how that ties into what the recruitment teams do in going out and talking with students and do they have the right materials? Does the website tell the same story and equipping our recruiters of the stories they need to tell um, so that there's a unified voice um, for the institution. Uh, I love what I do because it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of great colleges here in Northeast Indiana and across the state. And so, um, it's friendly competition, but it is competition sure, because sure. Um, we all need a certain number of students in yep. order to be able to, as you said, thrive mm-hmm. and then help provide the experience that students need both inside and outside the classroom yep. in order to do that. But it's a real privilege on that personal level because um, we're walking through with 17, 18 year olds and their parents. Um, making what's probably the biggest decision they've made in their life. And so it's a privilege to get a speak into that and have a piece of that. And then, of course, we have graduate programs and adult degree completion programs. And it's really neat to get to work with those students as well and for them to see, oh, I can do more than what I'm currently doing. Or, yeah, I can do that graduate degree to take the next step professionally that I want to do. And so um, it's just a lot of fun to engage with people. And then, um, thankfully, great people like Lynette and her team that um, helps us make sure that all the marketing is there giving us the tools that we need in that storytelling. 
So, so Danny, as as you're talking through this, one of the things that is is most fascinating to me about your story, and I'm kind of learning as we go, is the fact that you have two two adult children who uh, have experienced Huntington University as students. And, and the question I want to ask you, you know, I I had been doing higher ed marketing for quite some time before my son went to college, and. As he was in his junior and senior year of high school and as he started college, it really gave me a different perspective on the whole, you know, the the whole gamut of, of marketing communications from a higher ed standpoint. So I was kind of living it with him and, and alongside him. Um, how did that experience shape what you do as a higher ed marketer, if at all? You might tell me it didn't shape it at all, didn't change anything. But having a couple of kids who've gone through that process and who've actually selected the institution where you're employed, how does that work into everything you do as a higher ed marketer? Yeah, I think it's helped me in a lot of different ways. Um, one, it's made me more knowledgeable. Um, I'm also at a stage in life where 18-year-olds really don't care what I have to say. Yeah, you need both. <laughs> but their parents are maybe a little more interested. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I'm much better at helping parents through the process and um, giving them confidence that, hey, you can help your student do this and this yeah. is reasonable. Um, I know a lot more about the inner workings of the university because I hear my my son and my daughter tell stories yeah. about, well, we did this in the residence hall or this professor was really good because of this. And, yeah. um, you know, so that's really helpful. Um, but I think the, um, you know, the other thing is, um, my kids were also looking at other schools. Mm -hmm. And so I got a chance to see yep. kind of a little bit behind the scenes what other institutions were doing. Yeah, And so it's always good to kind of, you know, be able to do that secret shopping a little bit and say, oh, I really like the way they put that together. I like the way their website does that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating to learn that, hey, this stuff actually works. I remember when my son was doing his search process, he was looking at two schools in Indiana and then Tulane. And I was like, where did that come from? And he was like, they sent me something in the mail and it was really great. And I was like, oh, we, we do have a future as higher ed marketers. Um, but as it turned out, good for me and my wallet that he didn't choose to lay and he ended up going somewhere in Indiana, but it cut through the clutter and it, it made an impact on him one way or the other. So, you know, for folks who are less familiar with the higher ed environment, there's a lot of challenges right now. What are some of the biggest challenges? And feel free to state what to you is obvious because it might not be to our listeners. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges challenges you're facing in your role and, and what are you doing to overcome that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, one of the biggest challenges is the number of high school graduates in America is decreasing every year. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back about 10 to 12 years ago, there are 25% fewer high school graduates today than what there was in like 2009. And so as colleges, we kind of built on a number of students. Yeah. And so now the challenge of, okay, where do we position ourselves uh, numerically? And it's why graduate programs are more important and the adult degree completion to figure that out. Um, but also then I think as a private institution, that price point and value conversation is really important. As you stated, you know, a minute ago for your son, thankful he didn't choose Tulane yeah, because, yeah. uh, financially, but helping the average family see how they can afford mm -hmm. and why it's worthwhile to make that investment. Mm -hmm. You know, we all recognize in life that you get what you pay for. Yeah. And so what's the value added of attending a small private institution mm -hmm. and that student success feature and um, the different people that will kind of, for lack of a better term, 
hold their hands mm -hmm. through that process until they learn how to become a little bit more independent in some yeah. of those things. Yeah. Well, and I would assume that, you know, you, you attract a good number of students who are close to home, but you're also attracting people really from around the world. So I would assume part of your job when it's a residential experience is selling students on Northeast Indiana and on, you know, you're going to be living in this place you may have never heard of called Huntington, Indiana for the next four years. How do you work that in? When is it relevant to do that? And how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something where we find um, the students who are from within an hour, mm -hmm. um, they don't typically ask a lot of questions yep. about what Huntington or what Northeast sure. Indiana has to offer. Uh, today, we had two students from central Pennsylvania mm -hmm. that were in. Mm -hmm. And so we had conversations about, hey, not just here's what's available to you from the city of Huntington in terms of restaurants, movies, things like that, but here's what uh, city of Fort Wayne has to offer. Yep. And talking about the tin caps and the comets and sure. um, things like that, shopping, you know, some of the local restaurants and, and things. And, um, you know, this is kind of a side thing, but we did a study a few years ago and found that um, Huntington University adds about $56 million to the Northeast Indiana economy every year. Oh, wow. When you look at what our students bring in, um, you know, faculty and staff that we're, you know, we're earning a, a sure. living and then, yeah. um, you know, paying live. And so um, how are they investing those dollars in Huntington and Fort Wayne and other um, communities here in the region? Sure. And I would assume in Huntington County, Huntington University is one of the larger employers. So you're important in the community in that way as well. Yeah, it, it's a privilege to partner with the city of Huntington and, and the local business leaders. Um, we've been very blessed. Um, our last two mayors um, have been alums and, um, you know, Mayor Richard Strick and Brooks Fetters before that. Um, great guys who see the value of um, what the city of Huntington brings to the university and how they play a part. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're willing to play an active role in talking with prospective students and um, being on campus and things. And and our business leaders have really supported us as well, um, coming in and um, letting students know what's there and, um, you know, inviting them to come and take part in um, the local services and economy. So, yeah. well, it's, it's always good to have friends in City Hall, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, this is sort of an obvious question, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. How did the institution overall navigate the pandemic? You know, I, my experience was last spring, I was, I was teaching at two institutions and I had set up everything to be, you know, face to face and, and didn't expect anything was going to be different. And then all of a sudden in March, we pivoted and they were online classes. Um, everybody has, you know, a story about that. But what are some of the things that Huntington University did to adapt and, and how did that go overall? What were some of the challenges and some of the good things that arose out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, spring 2020, similar to a lot of institutions, we had to send students home. And so that pivot that you just mentioned and um, Zoom became our great friend um, as classes going that direction. Um, I think more significantly is what we did during fall 20 as students returned. And so we, we felt really uh, blessed looking back on it now that the school year's over. Um, we had some students who tested positive. We had faculty and staff who tested positive. Um, we were very fortunate that no one got significantly ill, mm -hmm. um, but we had a great plan. We were fortunate enough to have a building that we had kind of had some other plans for um, that all of a sudden, oh, now we have some place to quarantine yeah, students sure. um, if they test positive or had close contact. But um, we put up tents 
And we even equipped some of those tents with multimedia. Mm -hmm. And so we had professors that were teaching classes outside, mm. um, which allowed a little more kind of that open air yeah, concept. Sure, sure. We were uh, fortunate in the fall semester to have great weather, even yeah. into early November. Yeah. Yeah. Um, faculty were using those. Um, we had to adjust, you know, we have chapel twice a week. And so we had to go virtual for chapel. Um, but our classes were able to meet face to face. Um, our faculty were great and, you know, they were teaching face to face, but then they also had a zoom yeah. link going on for students that had been quarantined, yeah. um, for a week or two. And in the end, um, I think other than having to wear face masks and put a little more distance between students, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we ended up with a, a relatively normal semester. Um, you know, going into it, there were a few things that as administration we put out, uh, for example, residence halls. Uh, you can only go into a residence hall if you live in that residence hall. And the students pushed back on us a little bit. Yeah. And so we collaborated with them sure. and said, okay, we'll allow students from other residence halls to come in, but it needs to look like this. And mm -hmm. um, for the most part, our students did great kind of meeting those expectations and um, looking forward to hopefully, you know, a fall 21 that's even more normal than than what we had in sure. uh, this last year. So. Yeah, well, I applaud the institution for listening and saying, hey, we can compromise on this. Because a lot of times it's not something that higher ed institutions have a great history of compromise with students. So that's that's great. That's great that you listened and were able to adapt in that way. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you an option. I'm going to ask you a, a couple different questions. You can answer both. You can answer one or you can say I don't want to answer either of those. When you think of the, you know, the stories that come out of Huntington University, um, what are some of the best stories that you're aware of, either of students who are there now or students who have gone on to great things? Or, because I'm putting you on the spot with this question, I'll give you an out. What are some of the misconceptions about Huntington University that you wish people knew the real story? Again, you can pick either one of those. You can pick neither, but I want to learn a little bit more about the institution. Yeah, well, well, certainly the great stories, it really is our students and our alums. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in two different ways. One, you have the professional success that people arrive yep. at. Um, we've got, you know, from our health sciences area, um, we've got a lot of nurses across Northeast Indiana. We've got doctors. Uh, we have an occupational therapy program. And so we have students now going all over the country uh, with their doctorate of occupational therapy. Um, and you know, I have to be careful getting in this or else I'll go on for 20 minutes. Yeah, sure. Getting every sure. major. But, um, you know, I, we mentioned our digital media arts program a little bit earlier. Um, we have alums that are working in Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, a part of movies, uh, doing great things. Yep. And, uh, for example, the, uh, Spider-Man movie that came out a year and a half ago at Christmas time, uh, we had an alum on that. Uh, we have an alum, Kayla Lane, who has worked on the voice and a lot of other television programs, um, out in Hollywood. Um, and then you have people like my son, who's a graduate of the program, who's working at a local church, yeah. um, who knew two years ago that all of a sudden live streaming church services yeah, sure. um, would become so important. Sure. And so you, you have those professional success stories and people that are impacting the world around them. Um, but then the other thing I love about working at a, uh, an institution like Huntington is the transformation that happens in the lives of young people while they're a part of our institution. Um, you know, we make no um, apologies and we don't make it a secret that 
we're an institution that not just is there to give students a great education, um, but help them in terms of their faith and their relationship with Christ. And so um, there are students who come to Huntington maybe because they're attracted to the animation program or maybe they're an athlete and they're like, okay, I can do this Jesus thing for four years because I'm going to have this sure, experience. Sure. But while they're there, um, a change that happens in their life. And so they begin living that life that's, you know, following and serving Christ. And then um, the other stories that I think are really cool, having grown up in, you know, small town Indiana, is the people that come to us from all over the country and then choose to make Northeast Indiana home. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Richard Strick, mayor of Huntington, is a great example of that, um, you know, came to Huntington, fell in love with Northeast Indiana, settled down, did a lot of different things until he decided to run for mayor a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, Richard's just one example of a lot of, of our alums who have done that. Yeah. Well, and that's relevant to another part of your work, and that's the work you do at the Cuesta Education Foundation. If you wouldn't mind, if you don't mind me digressing into that a little bit, could you talk a little bit about how you're involved with Cuesta, a little bit about what Cuesta does and how that's relevant to your work at Huntington University? Yeah, th thanks for asking that question. Um, so I've served at two different institutions that are Cuesta partner schools, um, which means that, well, I should probably talk a little bit about what Cuesta does first. Um, Cuesta is an organization here in Northeast Indiana who helps students finance college. Mm -hmm. And so we give them kind of forgivable loans. And basically, if they graduate, they return to Northeast Indiana. There's an 11-county region, and they live and or work in the region. Cuesta will cancel 50% of that loan for them over the course of four years. And so the idea is that um, we need to retain our talent, our homegrown talent, mm -hmm. in Northeast Indiana. And so Quest has done a great job of that. Um, we help students graduate on time, um, help them graduate with less debt, and then they're investing here in our businesses and um, civic organizations here in the community. And so then there are partner schools, and Huntington University is one of them, where if they come to Huntington, Huntington University pays 25% of that loan oh, wow. back for them the day they graduate. Um, students can get up to $5,000 a year. So essentially, a student can take out a $20,000 loan over the course of four years and only have to pay $5,000 of it back. And so, yeah, um, yeah if, if there's people out there listening saying, hey, I, I need a tax write-off, yeah. uh, the Cuesta organization or Huntington University um, <laughs> is a great way um, to do that. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of good in Northeast Indiana and um, I just, I, I'm on the board now um, after serving with, at two institutions that are partner schools and um, just really exciting to see the quality of young people that um, we get a chance to invest in. And many of them are going to college here in the Northeast Indiana region, staying in the region, working and serving. So, yeah, well, and talent attraction and retention is critically important. Um, and we're fortunate to have so many great institutions, but you got to keep the students after they graduate or, Absolutely. you know, you're not going to go very far. So, Danny, let's talk then about some of the projects you're working on and, and don't feel like you have to share anything proprietary, but it's always interesting to me to hear what are some of the big things on your to-do list, some of the primary projects you're working on, things that are taking up a lot of your time, maybe keeping you up at night, maybe exciting, maybe a combination of those things. What's, what's big on your list right now? Yeah, well, you know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, diversification is really important mm -hmm. um, for us as a college. And so always looking at opportunity for new programs. 
And so, for example, you know, about six years ago, as I was arriving at Huntington, we launched an agriculture program, mm-hmm. and that's really starting to thrive. Uh, a year or two before that, we launched the doctorate in occupational therapy. We've since launched a OTA or occupational therapy assistant program. And, but the newest thing that we're getting ready to launch, and Asher's helping us um, with some promotion of that, is we've got a coaching certificate. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some circles, it's referred to as an executive coaching certificate. Mm-hmm. Others, a little softer kind of a leadership coaching yep. certificate. But it's a nine-hour opportunity for people who want to help other people grow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, executives all over the region, all over the country, um, oftentimes when they're new in an executive role, they get a coach Mm -hmm. and someone who's been um, trained to help them grow, sometimes has experience in their field um, that just kind of helps them navigate this new leadership role. And so our coaching certificate is designed to help people like that. And it actually leads them to, it's called ICF approved International Coaching Federation. And so it gives them all the credentials that they need to hang a shingle out, you know, if they okay. want to um, get paid to be an executive coach. Then on that softer side, maybe guys like you and me just saying, hey, I'm not necessarily looking to earn a living at this, but um, we're not young anymore. And so how is it that we help yeah. the younger people thrive in our industry, maybe in our institution or organization? And so how can we better help them? And so just educating ourselves a little bit. And so um, I'm really excited about it. It's a great way. Um, they can actually come to campus for classes or they can do it online. And it's a great way for them to kind of deepen themselves and learn. And if they don't have a master's degree, um, they could even all nine of those hours would go towards an MBA. Okay. Then if they would want to complete that later. And then we're also doing something similar with our digital media arts. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, taking those animation and film skills um, that are so important, whether it be in advertising, sure. like what you do, or maybe yeah. people in other um, lines of work, that one's even something a high school student could do it. Yeah. Um, and then those hours would go towards an undergraduate degree. Um, but giving them, you know, storyboarding, concept art, motion graphics, and that sort of thing. And so Really excited about what ca- that can bring in helping students get a preview of that fuller degree or maybe a, a working professional who's saying, hey, maybe I'm a graphic designer right now, but I would love to know a little more yep. about how I can make animation work, sure. work on commercials and things like that for my organization. Sure. So so really taking an innovative look at those stackable credentials, things that build towards a degree but have value in themselves because people are just taking different paths today and there's so many entry points for different careers. Yeah, a- absolutely. That, that's a great way to put it. And, and so we're just trying to help, you know, how can we serve Northeast Indiana, um, honoring who we are as an institution and the things that we do well. And so that leadership and the the digital media art certificates are um, a couple of ways that I think we can enhance um, Northeast Indiana, but also then help the people along the way. Yeah. Well, you and I were joking as you walked into the building talking about how now that commencement is over, you can kick your feet up and just relax for three months. And of course, that's not the case. Lots going on at Huntington University. All right. Well, Danny, let's move on to what I call the speed round of the show, where I ask you similar questions, the ones we've talked about, but in a more condensed fashion. So we're just looking for quick hit, tweetable, shareable answers to these questions. So when you think about your career path, 
and what has allowed you to be fulfilled, successful, if you want to call it that, however you define that. What do you think is the key? What's the most critical thing that you would maybe pass on to your kids or, or other folks when it comes to career success? Yeah, for, for me and my journey, I think patience was really important mm -hmm. and just being willing to walk through the open door that was in front of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I look back over my career, um, nothing went the way I probably would have designed it. Yeah. But looking back on it, I wouldn't trade the experiences mm -hmm. that I have. And so just being willing to fill in the gaps, fill the needs. And um, sometimes I was able to work in areas of strengths for me. And other times I was asked to work in areas that were weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, but it grew me and helped me get better uh, to a position where, you know, now leading other people, um, doing those things and letting them kind of spread their wings and become you know, the leaders and professionals. So. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier and that's actually been one of the most fulfilling pivots, if you will, that I've had the opportunity to make in my career to go from, I'm going to spend most of my time developing myself to saying, you know, I'm good. I still want to learn, but I get more fulfillment out of developing other people than I do out of adding, you know, to my skill set. Yeah, it's it, th that's a hard transition. Yeah, sometimes. you're kind of admitting um, the end is nigh. <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes it's kind of like, well, but I really like doing those things. Yeah, yeah I, sure. I'm not sure I want to give that part up. Yeah. Um, and so not saying I'm good at that, yeah. um, but realizing <laughs> that those are the things, you know, that um, need to be willing to do to help the next generation uh, find success. So, yeah, yeah, well, that's great. So the next question has to do with Huntington University. How would you describe Huntington University in a phrase, or if you don't like that question, what might surprise you, surprise someone to hear about Huntington University? Another another option for you in how you answer that question. Yeah, well, you know, really, I think we have three talking points about who we are as an institution. Um, first and foremost is uh, we strive to be authentic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we're committed to liberal arts and we don't apologize for that. Um, Size-wise, we're not the largest institution, but I think we've capitalized well in giving students opportunities to actually do mm -hmm. and be involved, whether that's our traditional undergraduates or even at the graduate and doctoral level to getting to do that. Uh, in addition to being authentic, we're also an institution that's rooted. Mm -hmm. uh, we're rooted in Christ. We're rooted in the success of our students and alums. And one of the things that we're really proud of, if you go back to 1897 when we were launched and you look at our first class, um, we had students who were uh, black and we had women. Mm -hmm. And that's something that when you looked at higher ed in the yep. late 1800s, uh, and so that's something that we're just trying to say, okay, we had a great launching point. Mm -hmm. um, how do we continue doing that today? And so yeah. um, trying to maintain that. And then finally, um, simply, we like to say that we're a place where a person can belong and they can come, they can be themselves and uh, figure out who they are and find their place in the community and learn and grow. Um, in whatever time they're with us. Yeah, which might be as important as whatever they learn in terms of content or whatever they major in. Yeah. I want to dive into something, if you don't mind. You mentioned being, you know, not apologizing for being a liberal arts institution. I want to get your take on something I heard recently. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about artificial intelligence. And, and the person said something that stuck with me ever since. He said, you know, people have 
opportunities to follow two paths. They can say, I'm going to learn about AI and how it's going to change the world and be good at the technical end of AI, or I can go in a completely different direction and say, what can't AI replicate? Things like leadership, things like compassion and empathy, uh, you know, the communication skills that are hard for AI to emulate. Seems to me that that is the new career path for liberal arts majors is to say, I'm going to learn how to learn. I'm going to learn about people. I'm going to learn about, uh, you know, psychology at a, at a, you know, not a very deep level, but also learn things that are innately human so that I can differentiate myself in a world that's becoming more automated. I know that's a, that's a lot to take in, but how is Huntington responding to that as a liberal arts institution as globally, you know, people are sort of challenging the, the, the relevance of liberal arts education. Yeah, and that's a great point. And it's a challenge that liberal arts institutions like Huntington have is helping students understand, you know, nursing as an example. Mm -hmm. There's lots of places that nursing graduates can, or students who want to be a nurse can go where all they take is the nursing courses and their science prerequisites. Um, But we believe, you know, you used words like compassion and empathy, which is really important in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that learning history, having a foundation in philosophy. And for us, there's also some some Bible in there um, that those kind of things help produce that empathy, help produce compassion. Um, you know, my, my son being a broadcasting major said, hey, you know, those courses are going to make you a better storyteller. Yeah, for sure. As you um, learn history, you learn all those different components, you'll better be able to weave that into your stories. And I think um, whether you're looking at healthcare, you're looking at digital media arts, and even in the business world and marketing and what we do, um, the more um, we can understand how to relate to people, how to connect with them. And there's a lot of history there. You know, there aren't a lot of new ideas out there. Yeah, so part sure. of it's just kind of that, that <laughs> yeah. looking back and saying, oh, wh- where have we been as a society and what does that mean to us today? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think absolutely it helps. And, and you know, one of my pieces of advice earlier was be patient. And I think, you know, for much of the world, it's, um, you know, that patience and understanding, you know, letting that liberal arts kind of come in and, Mm -hmm. and um, even if it's not an area of strength or interest, but, you know, what can you take from that and, and what can you learn and help figuring out who you are as a person is I think another part of the liberal arts component. Yeah, which can be a tremendous strength at a time when, you know, there's there's good reasons to focus on on STEM careers and that obviously has its value, but if something isn't STEM, it still has value in a different way for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, last big question. Um, and this one's a little bit different, but you know, where at what we hope is the tail end of a global pandemic and we've all had to make changes and adapt as you've mentioned. What are some of the lessons, maybe the the two or three most important lessons that you took away from the past 13 or 14 months that you think will stay with you and that you think are worth sharing with other people? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we've learned at Huntington in the marketing enrollment areas is the fact that um, we've constantly got to be, we constantly have to be evaluating is what we're doing effective. Um, In higher ed, you have this year long cycle. And so you kind of set your plan, you execute it for a year, you evaluate it. And you do 95% of it, you know, you repeat the same stuff. What I can tell you is the stuff that we were doing a year ago that we changed to, 
that we found success with, by the time we got to August 2020, was no longer working. And so we had to have another iteration of changes. Yeah. Uh, for example, in our campus visit program or our uh, personal outreach to students. And what was working in August and September, by the time we got to December, it's like, okay, you know, we need to reevaluate this. And so what I hope as a leader that I'm reminded of going forward is that I can't wait for a year to reevaluate and um, doing 90 or 95% of what I did the year before probably isn't acceptable. Yeah. Um, that we've got to be willing to adjust and, um, you know, more short-term commitments on things yeah. um, that keep us flexible. Yeah, so, it makes the job a little harder, but ultimately it's what we need to do in this environment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But um, more fun, right? Yeah. Instead of the same old, same old. That's, so. that's right. We get to learn. Even old dogs like us get to learn some new tricks. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Danny, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for sitting down with us and sharing your story and the story of Huntington University. And for everyone out there who took the opportunity to listen to this, thank you. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. Mm-hmm.